She pounds 8 ounces and was 14 and a half inches long. She spent 47 days in the NICU growing bigger and stronger before she was able to join her family at home. While in the NICU, it dawned on her mother how simple things, like seeing her wrapped in cute baby blankets, really made it feel less like a hospital and more like her nursery. Paisley's amazing nurses always made a point to pick out the cutest combination of blankets that they could find to cover her bed and to swaddle her with. Eventually, her mom Mandy got to raid the blanket closet to pick out Paisley's linens. This is when she noticed they could use more fun, bright, and gender-specific blankets. The idea for Running for Covers was born to combine Mandy's love of running with a way to thank their nurses and give back to the NICU. In 2015, the NICU dedicated their linen closet to Miss Paisley May. Paisley's closet, along with her story and information about Running for Covers, are posted in beautiful frames and located in their parent room. The blankets donated by Running for Covers fill the shelves of the linen closet, line the beds in the NICU, cover babies during kangaroo care, and are given to families to take home. 2015 was a big year for Running for Covers as it became officially recognized as a nonprofit organization. In 2019, along with our standard blankets and supplies, we were able to donate $4,000 to the St. Mary's Foundation to help the NICU purchase two hospital-grade specialized power reclining chairs and some bedside milk warmers. In 2020, Running for Covers is being held on August 16th, Paisley's original due date, at the Granville Middle School track. The cost of participating is a donation of a new, handmade, or gently used baby blanket. Last year, we collected over 300 blankets. 2020's goal is to see an increase in participants and donated items so we're able to help more NICU families. This year, we will also be accepting the following items which we use to make goodie bags for those families. Knitted baby hats, solid fleece and flannel squares, notebooks, chapstick, unscented hand lotion, unscented hand sanitizer, small bottles of dish soap, small packages of tissues, children's books in English or Spanish, and Dr. Brown's bottles with preemie sized nipples. These can be purchased at the medical supply store right in Mercy Health Hospital for just $4. Extra cash donations will be put towards an item the NICU is in need of. Running for Covers will also be supporting the annual NICU reunion that also takes place in August. Our purpose is to help celebrate NICU grads and reunite them and their families with the staff at Mercy Health St. Mary's in a fun and interactive atmosphere. Thank you for your support. How many of you believe that being a blessing is the greatest blessing, isn't it? The Bible says it's more blessed, it's more, more blessed, happier is the person who gives than the person who receives. Now, I enjoy receiving things, but I'll tell you, when you're a blessing to somebody, it's even more enjoyable, isn't it? I'll tell you, I look back there on that table and I see how generous our church was this week. Thank you so much. You guys can go ahead and give yourself a round of applause there. Thank you for being so generous. I'm telling you, family promise is going to be so blessed by your generosity, and we're going to make sure that those families also receive uh, some type of gospel track as well. We want them to hear the gospel. We want them to know, most of all, that Jesus loves them and that there's a church in town that loves them as well. This next week, we're giving to Running for Covers, as was just advertised. And so on this little sheet inside your bulletin, it, sh it, it uh, shares with you what you can purchase this week, and we'll have those tables available for you out there in the foyer for this next week. Now, let me just say this. Next Sunday is the 15th. It's going to be very exciting because it's our Next Step Banquet Night. And that night, we have 100, over 135 people already signed up for the banquet. It's free, no charge. It's, it, you, it's casual. You show up casual. But the, but, it, but the place is first class, I'm telling you. It's really nice, amazing food. Uh, uh, they're serving a coronavirus. They have coronavirus dish. I'm just joking. No, it's really good. It's, the food is amazing. And 
Uh, I really, I, we're putting this on this year just to say thank you for your generosity. It, it's just going to be a fun night, and that's it. That's all it is. It's just a fun night. We're not asking you to, to give that night. We're asking you to give all month. Uh, today, uh, inside your bulletin, you see these cards. I'll, I'll talk about these cards uh, today. But, um, but I started last week a generosity series, and I was a little hesitant to do that because I never preach on, on giving or tithing or generosity as much as I probably should. I've been here for nine years, and people are like, you, you know, you never talk about that. And I said, you know, I, sh- I, I need to do a series on generosity. And I'll tell you, this week's study really changed me. It really affected my heart. It, it, it revealed to me how important it is to give and why we should give. And I'm really excited to share that with you today. I know in the church, and by the way, turn your Bibles to Malachi. It's the last book of the Old Testament. The very last book of the Old Testament. You know, in in church world, a lot of people are waiting for a miracle to come when really we should just be one. A lot of people are sitting in the chairs out here waiting for God to bring a miracle their way when really we could be one in somebody's life. And I really do believe that miracles do come. God's blessing does come to the person who's generous. The, the Proverbs teaches that there are those that scatter yet increase. And there are, are those who withhold and always tend to want and need. Maybe the reason many of us lack the miracle or the blessing or the promises that God wants to give to us is because we're stingy in our giving to others. We're stingy in, in how we steward the resources and God has blessed us with. Now, I'm not saying most of our people here are extremely generous. I hope you guys know I'm not pointing anybody out. I'm simply teaching a biblical principle here. But one of the greatest blessings that, that to come to our life require a simple act of faith. Before God blesses his people, he always asks them to do something on their own. He doesn't just give free handouts to everybody for nothing. Before he rolled the stone back, or before he he raised Lazarus from the grave, he asked them to roll the stone away, right? Before you get saved, you gotta do what? You gotta believe. Okay, before you're going to experience the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, let's say it together, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance before you can enjoy the fruit of the Spirit, which is incredible, the Bible says, to walk in the Spirit. There's always a requirement for God to bless you, and that's for you to be a blessing, an act of faith, a step of faith. Before Peter could walk on the water, he actually had to step away from the boat. Before God does the impossible in a church or in a person's life, God's like, well, I want to see your faith have some feet to it. Because faith is not something you say or believe. It's something we do. Belief always translates into some sort of action. And our relationship with money and how we spend our money is very close and near and dear to our heart and relationship with God. It's, it's God's number one foe, an enemy. Not that money's bad, but our love for money. 
is the root of all evil. That's why the Bible teaches you can't serve God and money at the same time. Either you'll love the one and hate the other, cling to the one or despise the other. That's what it says. You can't love God and money at the same time. It's impossible. You gotta choose which one you're going to serve. You can give money, you can deify money, you can give it divine attributes if you want, but how many of you guys know that money isn't going to always be with you? It's not gonna give you the comfort you thought it would bring. Um, it's not going to bring you love. You can s- sleep with your money, you can, uh, you can look at it, you can uh, feel it with your fingers, it's tangible, it's tactile. Uh, but it's not going to give you everything you need in your life. And when you have a healthy relationship with God, you begin to look at your money and your resources as a manager rather than an owner. And when you begin to look at it that way, it helps you have a healthy relationship with it rather than an unhealthy one. Okay? So one of the greatest blessings in life is, is to be one. And one of the best ways you could be one is to be generous, be very generous. In Malachi, it's a really interesting, it, it, I love this book. When I had first gotten saved, I, I, I enjoyed reading it and trying to understand it. And I, I loved how it said uh, in verse number five of chapter one, it says, And your eyes shall see, and ye shall say, The Lord will be magnified from the border of Israel. And I remember putting together a message when I was in Bible college on, on God's desire for the children of Israel is that when guests would come to Israel, they would see that the Lord was magnified or made big. The Lord was big in Israel, just from the border. They didn't have to go into town to find out that God was real and big in their life. They didn't have to uh, know a lot of people. They just got to the border of Israel, and they realized, wow, God, their God is important to them. That was the goal. And them making God important in their life was directly linked to their giving. This is what the whole book is really all about now, I know that we want the Lord to be magnified, not just in our services, but in our life. We want people to see what that, man, God's really important in AJ's life. God's really important in Verl's life. God, God seems to be elevated in this place called Grand Rapids Baptist Church. We want to magnify the Lord. Would you say amen to that? We want to make him big. We want to make him known. He's, he's the God. He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. There's nobody like him. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's God Almighty. We want to make him big. This isn't about a personality. This isn't about some reputation. We want to, we're not giving so that we can become, we can gloat in our city. We're doing it because we genuinely, truly care about people because God cares about people. So how do we make God big in our life? How do we have a heart for God? Like, like, let me ask you this question. Like, how long would it take for somebody to be in your life to realize that you were a follower of Jesus? Like, how long would it take for them? A day? A week? A month? Like, when would they know? Oh, I didn't know you were a Christian. How can we become the type of people that magnify God in our life? We glorify him. See, no man has ever lost by serving God with his whole heart. No man has ever lost by serving God with his, own, with his whole heart, nor gained by serving him with half of one. The children of Israel were an interesting group. You could study throughout the whole Old Testament. You can read uh, research and uh, history books on the children of Israel, and you'll see 
that they, their hearts would be towards God. They would have a heart for God just like David did, and it was directly linked to their giving to the temple, and that giving to the temple was to provide the sacrifice and the living for the Levites. They had 12 tribes. The Levites had to live off the offering of the other 11 tribes, and so they would bring their offerings to the temple. and be like a building like this. They'd all bring it in and, and give the first fruits of their increase to the temple, and that's how they were developing their heart for God and obeying God in a tangible, practical way. They can express their faith through something that was visible, something that was actionable, and that was to bring their gifts uh, before the Lord. But what would happen is they begin to become stingy with their offerings. They wouldn't give their first fruits. They would give their leftovers to God. And when you give your leftovers to God, what happens is you start to lose your heart for God. You give your leftovers to God. You start losing your heart for God. And that's exactly what was happening here in Malachi. In chapter 1, in chapter 1, you'll see that they were giving lame leftovers. They were giving blind sheep. <laughs> blind. God says it's got to be spotless. It's got to be your best lamb. You've got to give that to me, and all the rest is yours. But they're giving the worst. Even the, even the, the priests were, were sacrificing animals that weren't acceptable to God. And there was all these, all these problems. And it was, it was directly linked to how they gave, how they gave. So I want to talk about that for just a little bit. Now, I want to read the, ver the, the text to you. Look at chapter 3, verses 8 through 11. Malachi chapter 3, 8 through 11. Is everybody with me? So Malachi, who's the prophet, he's the one who communicates the mind of God to the people of Israel. And he says in verse 8, Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But then the children of Israel would say, Well, wherein have we robbed thee? And what does he say? And tithes and offerings. A tithe means a tenth. It's a word that means tenth. That means the first tenth of your income goes to God. Offerings are above your tithe. He says, you've robbed me in, in the 10% that belongs to God, and you've robbed me from the offerings above that that God has led you to give. Verse 9, what does it say? You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, this place of gathering, that there may be meat in mine house. Improve me now. This is the only time in the Bible God says, improve me in this area, saith the Lord of hosts, that I will not open you the window of heaven and pour you out a blessing. Now let me just stop there. How many of you guys believe that preachers have taken this verse out of context? Now if you give, you know, Mercedes Benz will magically appear in your garage and you're going you you're gonna to get a big raise in your, at your job. Now I've heard of those things happening, so I'm not saying that won't happen. My, my, uh, my sister, Ricky, and her husband, Patrick, got saved about three years ago. And they had gone through a really uh, rough patch in their relationship, and that's what led them to accepting Christ as their personal Savior. After they got saved, they started going to a church there in Gilbert, Arizona, and the pastor taught a message just like this. And they, because they, would, they were tippers. You know, there's a difference between a tipper and a tither. And they were tippers. They would, you know, throw in a 20 here and a 100 there, and they're just, you know, the offering plate, they'd just kind of give. And the pastor taught on tithing. And they said, Oh, we didn't know that. We didn't know we had to give 10%. So they went back home and added up what 10% was of their income, and they're like, that's a lot of money. <laughs> and, and my sister, Ricky, who's a detective for the uh, city of Phoenix, said, but we still need to do the right thing. 
even though it hurts, she goes, we're going to do it. And Patrick is like, are we, are you, are you sure? And he's like, yeah. And they, they both agreed we need to just, we just need to do this. And so that week, man, they wrote a check out and they make a lot of money and they put that in the offering plate and they're like, oh my word. The next week, the next week, Patrick got called into his office at UPS. He works at UPS. And uh, he got a job promotion that pays him $50,000 more a year the next week. Patrick calls me up and he goes, Cody, you won't believe it. He goes, we started tithing and I got a raise. I kind of like this tithing thing. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I know. Man. It's funny because they're new believers, you know, and, and, and when I talked to Ricky about being saved and, and, she, and she goes, yeah, we still go to church. They go to Saturday night service at their church. They go, we, we, we went to church Saturday night and we still give. I'm like, praise the Lord, Ricky. You know, they're just, they're to the point now they've done it for three years. They're just excited to give because they know it's honoring to the Lord. It's honoring. They don't want to lose out on being a blessing. And so, so this is what was happening to the children of Israel. They were losing the... The promise. So it's not that the windows of heaven are going to pour down and you're going to have like all these new things you've always wanted. What the blessing was that God pulled away from the children of Israel was, was fulfilling his promise that their land would be fruitful. What was happening is he was, God wasn't allowing their crops to grow anymore. Famine started to spread among the land. They lost their joy. Husbands were abusing their wives. We're talking like their lives became so miserable simply because they became stingy. So that means that if they weren't giving their first fruits to God, they were giving their first, first fruits to something else, and that's the problem. That's where it lies. Their first fruits were going somewhere, and that's where their heart was. God was trying to get their hearts back to him. He says, no, give your first fruits to me so you have a heart for me. I'll take care of you. But the problem was now God had pulled his promise off of them because they were honoring him with their first fruits of their increase. So let's talk about the problem with humans. You guys ready? Let's talk about the problem with, how many of you guys believe humans have a problem? How many of you guys think the, the scare of the coronavirus is doing more damage than the actual coronavirus? Oh, my word. Hey, look, let, be practical. Wash your hands. And by the way, if there was no virus spreading around, can you please still wash your hands? Like, good night. He's like, coronavirus is gone. Don't have to do that anymore. <laughs> did, you guys, did you guys see the lady in L.A. who was uh, teaching everybody how to, how to avoid the coronavirus by not touching your face? Did you guys see that? And then when she turned the page, she went... Right after, like right after she said, don't touch your face, she licked her finger. I was like, man, we got a bunch of clowns leading us, don't we? Uh, don't worry, your pastor's a clown too, okay? <laughs> right, we're, we're crazy, aren't we? I mean, more people have died from the flu. The flu is way worse than the coronavirus. And I'm not saying, look, today should have been fist bump Sunday, right? Uh, fist bump Sunday, have some Purell in your purse or whatever. Just be, be super practical. But how many of you guys got the article I sent you uh, in your text. How many of you guys got the article? Okay, four of you. Great. I know you saw it. Open the link. There's a link in that text from the church. Open it. It has really good practical advice for you from an expert who understands disease, okay? All right, so what's wrong with humans? Well, everybody's normal till you get to know them, right? Some humans are too awkward for this earth. I'm one of them. My wife likes to blend in. She loves to blend in, like, anywhere we're at. If we're in a ritzy place, she loves to pretend, not pretend, but 
she doesn't want to draw attention to herself. Like, whoa, look at all this stuff. You know, she just wants to go, like she's an actual, like she could actually buy this stuff. Um, in Las Vegas, they have those shops. Gary and Diane, you were there this week, right? Did you guys see like Burberry? It's not Burberry, it's Burberry, okay? Um, Louis Vuitton, all right, all these places. Uh, we were walking to one of those malls in Vegas, and, and there was a Jimmy Choo shoe store. And I didn't know what Jimmy Choo was, but I guess celebrities wear them. And I walk in there, I'm like, oh, cool, you know? And I was like, those are, and they're all like stilettos, you know? And I, and I pulled one off, and I was like, wow. And then I looked at the price tag, and it said $600. And, of course, my wife was looking at some shoes, and she was, you know, she looked like she could shop there. I didn't. Uh, and, and I was like, just across the store, I was like, honey, these shoes are $600. <laughs> And, you know, for her, she's like, I don't know that guy. Uh, who are you? She goes, I want to blend in. And then uh, the lady, you know, lady came around, which is funny because the people who work in those stores don't make enough money to even afford those things, but they pretend they do. That's what's so ironic about those stores in Vegas. They're like, you know, would you like to buy one of these? I'm like, dude, you make like 15 bucks an hour. There's no way you can even afford this stuff. Anyway. <laughs> and so... Um, so I, you know, uh, I, I was like looking at the shoes, and the the sales lady comes around. And she goes, "Yeah, they're you know six hundred dollars." I said, "I said it's really." I said, "You would think that you'd at least put the name Jimmy Choo on the shoes, so everybody knew it was Jimmy Choo." That was my thinking. Like Nike's got a swoosh, you know. Adidas got three lines. I'm like, at least put Jimmy Choo on there or something. And she goes, "The right people know it's Jimmy Choo." I guess I'm not the right person. <laughs> I wouldn't have known. You could have bought those at Walmart. I wouldn't have known. They were Jimmy Chewers. It's funny how people dress. They're like, aren't you impressed? I'm like, no, I don't even know. I can wear a Walmart shirt, you know. They're probably all made in the same factory anyway in China, so. Yep. Yep. You're wearing Chinese clothes right now. You know that? Yep. You guys look at packages from China differently, don't you? How about those, the air, you know those like little air bubble, pop, those things you pop? Do you guys enjoy doing those? You know that's Chinese air, right? Pop those. <laughs> Just remember that next time you're popping those bubbles. <laughs> uh, Sean and I went shopping yesterday, and uh, we went into uh, one particular store, and it was all women's clothing. I, mean, I don't know why when I go into one of those stores, I feel like I get hit with chloroform. I can have all the energy of the whole, like, I have energy the whole time I'm there walking to a women's clothing store. It's like, ooh, dude, I'm so tired. Does anybody else, any other guy feel like, I'm like, why is my back hurt and I'm tired? <laughs> and I found another dude standing leaning against a pillar, and I'm like, hey, what's up? He goes, what's up? I'm like, you're in too? I'm like, yeah. And you know, like, him and I became friends. And then we talked about the whole time how we wanted to, we think it'd be a great idea if they put a couch in the middle of the store with like ESPN on a TV. I think shopping would go up. I think, I think more customers would come in because I would be like, honey, you want to go into that store? Because uh, I think you need something in there. That's what I think. Now, what's the real problem with humans? Like, what's the real problem with humans? That's true. We're selfish. It's as old as Adam. Our real problem is that we believe we can live without God. That's our biggest problem. We believe we can live without God. 
And, and, and maybe you've been saved and you kind of stray away from God and you're like, you know, I really don't need God. I don't need church. I don't need these things. You can go down that path, but it always leads to the same destination, which is total and utter emptiness. It's vanity. We think we're better off without God. When we aren't giving, when we're not tithing what God has called us to tithe, what we're saying is, God, we don't think that you can take care of us. God, I don't think that you're going to do a good job taking care of my family, so therefore I need to take control of what you've given me. So we can come up with a better plan, we think we can, and bless ourselves better than God can bless us, but you're fooling yourself. The Bible says, Jesus says it this way, without me, you can do what? Nothing. To believe for a second, you can even breathe another breath without the hand of God is foolishness. You can do nothing without God. And if you want God's blessing or his promise on your life, and that's why it's important to study the promises of God, you have to obey God. And I'm not saying out of obligation or fear, but because he loves you and wants the best for you. How many of you guys believe that? For the children of Israel, he's like, I'm, I'm taking you out of slavery. I'm taking you out of the desert. You're crossing the River Jordan. You're in, you're in the land of, of milk and honey. How many of you guys like milk and honey? And I'm giving you all this land, and yet when he did all of that for them and wanted the best for them, they ended up giving him their leftovers. God's like, I'm just going to take my hand of blessing off of you because I can't bless a, t- a people who aren't going to honor me with my first fruits. So one thing we can learn from the Old Testament is that every time they turned away from God, they lost their blessing. They lost their promise of God. So what they lose, by the way, what, what do you mean? They were, what, what were they doing in chapter 1? Look over there really quick. Look at verse 7. Look at verse 7 of chapter 1 of Malachi. It says, you offer what? Polluted bread upon mine altar. And you say, where and we have polluted thee? And, instead of being, Lord, I'm so sorry. We're like, when we, like, a, like a spoiled teenager. When when, when we do that? How do we pollute thee? And that you say, the table of the Lord is contemptible. And if you offer, look what they offered. They offered the blind for a sacrifice. Do you think that was acceptable? They're, they're blind. Like, well, you know, I got all these sheep in here. All those look really good. There's this ugly blind one right here. We'll give that one to the Lord. Now, we don't have sheep and all that, but that's kind of how we put our budget together. It was like, oh, we're going to do all this and all this. All right, what do we got left over? We can give that to the Lord. He says it's contemptible. And if you offer the lame and sick, is it not evil? He says it's evil if you lame the if you offer the lame and the sick. Offer it now unto the he, look what he says. He says, go ahead and offer that to your governor. Offer that to to, to your mayor. Will he be pleased with the sick? Is it not evil? Uh, will he be pleased with thee or accept thy person, saith the Lord of hosts? And he says in verse 9, And now I pray you beseech God that he will be gracious unto us. This hath been by your means. Will he regard your person, saith the Lord of hosts? Who is there even among you that would shut the doors for naught? Neither do you, you kindle fire on mine altar for naught. I have no pleasure in you, saith the Lord of hosts. Neither will I accept an offering at your hand. I mean, they were giving, but just giving their leftovers. They were giving the worst that they had back to God. In chapter 2, it's really interesting because even the priests began doing this. They were offering things to God that were not acceptable. And 
another interesting thing is it, it was directly linked to how they treated their wives. This is so interesting to me. I'm just pulling these truths from the Bible. I'm not, this is so powerful. How you give to God is directly linked to how you treat your wife and how you treat people. Um, look at verse, look at chapter three or chapter two. Look what it says in verse 13. It says, and this have you done again, covering the altar of the Lord with tears and weeping. You know what they're doing? They're coming forward during the invitation. They're weeping and crying. Oh, God, I'm so sorry. And, and by the way, we could all put on a show, come to the altar and look like we're really repentant because that's what they did. And crying insomuch that he regardeth not the offering anymore. In other words, they're up here crying at the altar and weeping and wailing before God to pour out a blessing, but they weren't even giving. And notice what it says. Or receiveth it with, with good, with, with the will of your hand. Look at verse 14. Yet ye say, wherefore, because the Lord hath been witness between thee and the wife of thy youth, against whom thou hast dealt, what? Treacherously, yet is, isn't she your companion and the wife of thy covenant? And did not he make one? In other words, when you got married, didn't you become one? Yet had he the residue of the Spirit, wherefore one, that he might seek a godly seed? In other words, how you treat your wife is directly linked to how your kids oftentimes turn out. He goes, oh, go ahead and weep at the altar all you want, but if you're not treating your wife right, that offering is contemptible. It's unacceptable. It's like, that's why in the New Testament he says if you have ought against somebody or you know somebody has ought against you, leave, don't bring your gift to the altar. Don't give your offering. Go make it right with that person, then give. That's how important it is that you have these relationships, right? And then it says, therefore, take heed to your spirit and let none deal treacherously against the wife of his what? Youth. I find that really interesting. They abused their wives. They had a wrong view of God, and they had a wrong view of God because their heart was drifting away from God. It takes two unselfish people to have a good marriage, but it takes three to have a great marriage. Your husband, your wife, and God. And when you have a heart that's close to God, you have a better marriage. Can I get an amen to that? Why? Because you become selfless. I become selfless. And by the way, I'm, I'm speaking not from perfection, but from growth. And, uh, and I have a long way to go in those areas. But I'll, but, I'll, but I'll tell you something. How they view God was directly linked to how they started to treat their wives. So it affected the priests and how, what they gave. It, it's really interesting. <laughs> by the way, this is just a side note. Look at chapter 2 and verse 8. But you have departed. Look at this is talking to the pastors, right? So this is to me. It says, but ye have departed out of the way. Ye have cursed many to stumble at the law. Ye have corrupted the covenant of Levi, saith the Lord of hosts. Therefore have I also made you contemptible and base before all the people. Like you're losing your influence. Look what he says. According as ye have not kept my what? He goes, Pastor, you didn't keep my ways and have been partial in the law. Look right here. It is my responsibility to preach the whole Bible and not skip over things because you might be offended by them. My job here is not to 
become some mega church and everybody in the world like me. My job is to communicate God's mind on every matter of life. And how you spend your money is one of them. And I know it's not a popular message, but it is so vital and important. Um, chapter 3, look at verse 5. Look what else happened. It says, and I will come near to you in judgment, and I will be swift witness against the sorcerers. Do you know what sorcerers? It's, it's a Greek word, and the Greek word for sorcerer is pharmakia. We think of sorcery as like doing magic spells and things like that, and they probably used a little bit of that, but they also were involved in drugs. Um, sorcery, this type of like, I got a, uh, what they would take substance to uh, escape the realities of life. And against the what? Let's just say the words. The what? The adulterers. Against false swearers. Against those that oppress the hireling in his wages. In other words, you say, yeah, yeah, I'll pay you this much, and then they don't pay him that much. The widow, they're mean to the widow. They took advantage of the widow. And the fatherless, and that turn aside the stranger from his right, and fear not me, saith the Lord of, the, the Lord of hosts. And then he says, for I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore, you sons of Jacob are not consumed. So here they were involved in all sorts of sin. They were offering their worst, which directly uh, linked was directly linked to how they treated their wives, and then it was directly linked to how they lived their life. They're involved in all sorts of adultery and sorcery and sin and anything that could please them. And that's exactly how they spent their money. So what was the answer to this problem? So what was God's answer in this book to this problem of sin and destruction? And by the way, look what the Bible says in James 1.15. It says, when lust hath conceived, in other words, when you think, okay, uh, you have a desire, and you want to act on that desire that you know is against God, it brings forth what? Sin. And when sin is finished, it brings forth what? Now, Jesus came that you may have life and have it more abundantly. Okay? So how does God define sin? He defines sin by an action or a thought directly affects your relationships with God and with people. A sin is not an arbitrary thought that I that some pastor comes up with and forces upon you like a standard. A sin is something that you think or do that hurts your relationship with God and with people. And when we don't tithe, specifically tithing, it begins to affect how we treat people and how we live. So what's the answer? The answer is very simple. Have a heart for God. You say, well, pastor, well, how do I have a heart for God? Like, how many of you guys want to have a heart for God? Raise your hand. I mean, I don't think anybody in there is like, no, I don't want a heart for God. I just want him gone out of my life. I think everybody wants that, but how we get there is very simple. It's, it's, it's not complicated, okay? It's very simple. How do we have a heart for God? How do I give my heart to God? How do I be like David who had a heart for God? The answer to their hearts coming back to God was where they spent their treasures, it's directly linked. It's inseparable. We do this automatically when we give our hearts away, right? Um, you know, I think of my wife. Uh, 
every born-again believer's first response to getting saved is how they can start giving back. And when I started uh, deciding to love Shonda and falling for her and wanting to give my life to her and her to give her life to me and, and to live in a marriage for the rest of our life, you, you didn't have to pull... You, you didn't have to do anything to, you didn't have to manipulate me to spend time with her or spend money on her. I, en- I enjoyed that because I enjoyed the relationship. Look what Matthew 6, 21 says about, listen, when, when Shonda and I got together and I had a heart for her, it was, it was directly linked to how I was spending my treasure and my time. Right? I, I, would, I, would, I would cut hair in college simply to raise money so we can go out on a date at some point, I, uh, when when we were when we were started when we started dating, I was in Arizona for a summer, and I wanted to see her so bad. And so, me and a friend named Tim Larkley drove all night. I, I worked all day at the, at a church as interning, and then I drove all night to see her in Lancaster, which was like eight hours away. Drove all night, saw her, spent the whole day with with her. Then that night, got in a car. And drove all the way back to Arizona. Didn't sleep for like two and a half days. It was like the song. And I would walk 500 miles. And I, I would. I would have walked the 500 miles to go see her. I stayed up for a day. I would have took like a wagon train or something. Uh, I would have done anything. To, why? Because that love compels me to want to be with her. And that it's expressed by where I spend my treasure. I want you to see this verse. This is very powerful. Matthew 6, 21. What does it say? <laughs> it says what? Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The problem is not your heart. And the problem is not money. There's a hundred, real $100 bill connected to this. Now, how many of you guys just got a little excited just now? You're like, float that my way, pastor. Okay. But here's the thing. Wherever that goes, wherever that money goes, my heart goes too. And so even though I didn't have much money, when I spent it on Shonda, Mm. That's where my heart went. Right? You can't separate the two. You think, look, you think you can, but you can't. Where I spent my money is where my heart goes. And by the way, that's great marriage advice. If you want to improve your marriage, start spending your money on your marriage. Can I get an amen on that one? You say, well, we don't have much money. Look. You can go to McDonald's, dollar fries, right, and a water cup. (laughs) Dollar date. It's still a dollar. Look, spend something, okay? Plan a vacation. Spend your money. Look, you go to work to make money so you can invest in relationships. That's why you go to work, okay? You don't go to work so you can, you, you know, you can simply only become successful for yourself. You go to work so you can make money so you can invest it in your marriage, yeah, you're gonna, I'm going to get really practical in just a minute. But where you spend your money is where your heart goes. So, so I, I know, I'll give it back to you, sweet. This is really her money anyway. It's like, but if I want a heart for God, if I want a heart for God, it's directly linked 
to that offering plate. It's directly linked to my investment in the local church where I worship and where people are getting saved, where they're being mentored. This week I was able to meet with two guys who recently got saved in the last six months and got the poor money. And I'm able to do that because we have a huge group of people here that, that are givers. And as pastors, we're able to spend our, our full amount of time and attention in, in, in this place. A lot of people get kind of weird. It's like, oh, should we be even paying pastors? Do, do you realize that without pastors being full-time doing this, we would never impact our city as well as we could? There's no way I could work 40 hours a week somewhere, and then, and then you guys come in and expect a message from the Bible that was filled with me and study. I work at UPS um, 15 hours a week. I've been averaging about 15 hours a week, and it's paying for my master's degree. I'm getting a, a master's in an MDiv program. I don't need to. I'm still the pastor here, but I want to do it because I want to feed you guys better. I want to, do, I want to be a better preacher. I'm getting an MDiv in homiletics so I could preach better. I can, in other words, not like it could not impress you, but I want, to, I want to rightly divide the word of truth so you're getting exactly what God wants you to have. I want you to grow. But listen, if you want to have a heart for God, you can't just say, well, I want to have a heart for God, so I'll just do my devotions a little bit more, and I'll pray a little bit more. God says, why don't you just take, this, this one's a really hard step, why don't you give your first fruits to God? And when you give your first fruits to God, you begin to develop a heart for God. Can I get an amen to that? This isn't about me. This isn't about building some kingdom here. It's about you having a heart for God. And out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Where you invest, you grow, okay? And where you grow is what you talk about. And that is so, so important. Um, there's a lot of things we invest in. By the way, I'm not saying you can't enjoy things in life, but at least give God the first fruits of your increase, Notice that the people and the pastors gave, they did give, but they gave their leftovers. So their best was going somewhere. Their best was going somewhere. That first fruit was going somewhere, and that's really where their heart was. They were going through the motions of giving God, because that's what the children of Israel were supposed to do. We're supposed to give to God. But because they were giving the blind sheep the leftovers, their heart was quickly drifting away. That's how they lost their effectiveness. And I believe that a church's effectiveness in the city is directly linked to their giving to their local church. And that giving to their local church is directly linked to their heart for God. Now, I want to I give you something super practical because I was talking to my wife about this message and other pastors. I'm like, man, I'm preaching on tithing and I'm kind of nervous, you know. And they said, get real practical. Shonda said this to me this week. She goes, you know, when I first got saved, nobody ever taught me how to do this. And so I want to teach you how to do this. Okay, this is really simple. And, I, and I, a lot of this comes from, the, uh, from what Dave Ramsey says, but I want, I want to show you a little chart. Okay, this is the solution to having a heart for God. Okay. Let's pretend somebody's making $20,000 a year, okay? You make $20,000 a year. According to the tithe, the tithe is 10%. That person should be giving 10%, which is what? $2,000 a year, right? It should say $2,000. That's what it'd be. $2,000 a year should go to their church. That's what a tithe is, Okay? After you tithe, after you put together your budget, you say, here's, my, here's how much we make, okay? And we're going to lay it all out. And if you say, well, we're on, I'm on, um, 
I'm on commission. Okay, well, whenever you get your commission check, just take the 10% out of that and then work your budget from there. So you give 10%. Next, you put away for savings or retirement, 15%. This is what Dave Ramsey teaches. Now, let me just stop there. If you have debt, you have credit card debt, you have student loans, or you have car payments, what Dave Ramsey teaches, and I agree with this, is to, put, to save $1,000 in an emergency fund only for emergencies, pay off your debt, start with the smallest one, pay, pay the minimum payments on all your other ones, start with your smallest debt, pay that off with gazelle intensity, as he says. Then when you pay off the smallest one, whatever you're paying on that one, roll that over to the next one, pay that one off. It's called the debt snowball payoff. And then on the third one, so now you've paid off two debts, use all the money you were paying on those debts on the third debt until all of your debt is paid off. And when all of your debt is paid off, you're able to save and put in retirement 15% of your income. Okay? So 15% of 20,000 is what? 20, what? 3,000, thank you. Remember, I went into ministry because you don't have to do math. Uh, So... Uh, so $3,000 a year, if your debt's paid off, will go into savings. Now, he teaches to have a three- to six-month savings. Once your debt's paid off, your $1,000 goes to three- to six-month savings. In other words, if you lost your job, you're able to live for three to six months without a job. You have time to find a job. You're, you're not going to uh, freak out, lose your mind, and lose your house and lose everything because you lost your job and you didn't get paid for one week. Okay, so you put 15% away in savings, and then once you start doing that, you, you budget your fixed expenses. So when you get paid, take 10%. That's to the Lord. That's my first fruits of my increase. By the way, let me just say this about the tithe. That's why we worship on Sunday. That's one reason we worship on Sunday. Sunday's the first day of the week. God, this is your day. It's not my day. Lord, you've given me seven days this week. The first day of the week, I'm giving to you. The rest of the week, the rest of the week, I'm going to work, I'm going to love my family and all that, but this, but this day on Sunday, this is your day, this is the Lord's day. You're even tithing our time. When we planted Cross Point Baptist Church, you know, 30 people went, we tithed. We, we gave 10% of our church over to, to Cross Point. We even tithed the church. How cool is that? Um, that? So when you're putting together your budget, say, okay, 10% to God, 15% to savings or debt, and then 50% of your budget should go to fixed expenses. This is your mortgage or your rent. This is your, uh, this would be like your, your, your clothing, okay? Uh, if you have a clothing budget, your grocery budget would be involved in this. Listen, I think this is what I've experienced, that most of my money that I, I'm like, have you ever just looked at your bank account? I'm like, where'd all my money go? Anybody like that? Okay. Oh, I'm talking to a bunch of Dutch people, huh? Oof. If I was in California, people are like, yeah, I don't know where it's going. Uh, but a lot of times where our money goes is, is food. We, 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 we eat out too much or whatever. We did, we did it every week. We go to Culver's. It's like 30 bucks. It's in our budget, by the way. Uh, it's 30 bucks. And I cooked burgers yesterday on the grill because it's so nice out. And we added up together what it, what it costs us to all eat burgers that tasted better than Culver's, and it was 10 bucks. I'm like, man, we should probably cook a little bit more uh, not go to Culver so much. But your fixed expenses would include your grocery budget. Just have a budget. Here's what happens when you have a grocery budget. Like we can only spend $100 a week on, on groceries or $200 a week on groceries. Here's what happens. It forces you to become creative. 
say, how, why do people shop at Aldi? Because they're living on a budget. That's why. And there's good food there. Okay? Instead of being like, I don't know, we'll just, we just go buy what we need. We'll go to Meyer and just buy it. Look, Meyer sucked the life out of us. So I'm done with Meyer. I go to Aldi now. And I put that quarter in that, that cart, man. I'm all excited about that. You're going to buy all the cheap stuff. He's like, Meyer's got a bag of chips for four bucks you could buy for 80 cents. And it's good. And by the way, if you didn't know this, you're like, no, I like going to Trader Joe's. Do you know Aldi's owned by Trader Joe's? It's the same food. And all the Dutch said, there we go. Okay. So 50% of your, it should be fixed expense. This is my, this is my electric on average. This is my gas on average. This is my house. This is my grocery budget. These are all my budget that we need to live on. And then we have what I call the fluff. This is the marshmallow life, right? This is all the extra stuff like Taco Bell trip and, you know, uh, buying a souvenir or, or whatever, like all the, like getting a Starbucks, okay? This is the fluff of life. And, and that's 20, we're spending more on fluff than we're giving to God, okay? So don't get mad about the 10% when we're spending 25%. Did you realize that there are people, there are people who spend on average, and the average drinker spends over 20% of their income on alcohol, Okay? So don't get, don't get all of oh, 10% to God. Maybe that'll help you not drink as much. I don't know. Uh, or spend your money on fluff, stuff that will never impact your life, never change somebody's life, and never invest in any kind of eternity. Okay? And so that's the fluff of life, the fluff. Uh, 25% we could spend on, 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 drink, on, on coffee. And, and, uh, the, you know, and by the way, how many of you guys enjoy those things? I do. I like getting a milkshake. I like doing that stuff. Uh, but what this says, when you live by a budget, what this says is, Lord, you're the owner and I'm the manager. When we spend it like it's ours, we're, what we're saying, God, you don't own it. I own I'm the owner. And our heart begins to drift away from God. One of the most practical ways that you can have a heart for God is to simply live by a budget. Give God 10% right off the top. So following this plan will result in you living more like a manager than an owner. And number three, I want to share with this the blessing of God. Look at verses 11 and 12 of chapter 3. This is so good. He goes, now if you tithe, if you give and give in the offering, look what happens in verse 11. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sake. <laughs> Verl, I don't know if this is true or not, but this is our experience is if my wife and I are ever behind on our tithe, somehow God gets his money every time. It's, I, literally every time. One time, I, I, we were living in California, and I got a ticket, and I had to pay a certain amount. And it was the exact amount we were behind on our tithe. And whenever, whenever we get a, a strange bill in the mail or any kind of ticket, the first thing my wife does is, have we been tithing? That's like her first reaction, because she knows God's going to get his money. Uh, how many of you guys have ever experienced that before? Um, we have. Um, I'd rather give to the work of God than it go to uh, the police precinct. I don't know. I just. So notice what he says is, I'll rebuke the devourer for your sake, and he shall not destroy the fruits of your ground. Neither shall your vine cast her fruit before the time in the field, saith the Lord of hosts, and all nations shall cause, call you blessed. For you shall be a delightsome land, saith the Lord of hosts. In other words, 
if you start giving your first fruits to God, God says, I'll restore what I've promised to give you in the first place. Don't take that and say, oh, you know, every time if you're a farmer, oh, every year I'm going to have a bumper crop. That's not what it's saying. But what it is saying is God says this to, to David. His, David said in experience this, I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging for bread. Doesn't mean everything's going to go your way, but God will fulfill his promise in your life if you're a giver. Those that give bountifully receive and reap bountifully as well. This is a simple, basic principle of God. The blessing of God is for him fulfilling his promises. And before God fills up your life, you have to take a step of faith. And that faith step is to begin tithing. If you've never done this before, I, I, I was taught this principle when I got saved at 21 and it's like, all right, that's what a Christian does. That's what we should do. And I think it's really, really important uh, for you to take this step of faith. And so inside your bulletin is this card right here. I want you to look at it. Pull it out real quick. It's right there in your bulletin, okay? Um, this is what we call our next step card. We, we're encouraging everybody to give to uh, the next step, okay? Next step would be the auditorium payoff, okay? Um, and, and if during this month, if you, feel, if you feel led to give an offering for the next step, you can mark on there what you want, what you think you can give this month or in a in a um, commitment for the year. Every year our church raises fifty to $60,000 or more, up to $90,000 towards our next step. I encourage everybody to give something to the Next Step Banquet. We could easily, we have 157 families that give at our church, and if everybody gave a little bit, I can promise you we could pay off this auditorium very, very easy. So you can, you can fill that out and say, okay, this is what we want to give. And if you aren't tithing, you haven't been tithing, at the very bottom, it says, I accept the, the challenge to begin tithing this year. You don't have to put your name on here. If you want to, I can pray for you. Uh, if you want to put your name on there, but you don't have to. Mark that box as, you know what? I'm going to begin stepping out by faith in this area. I'm going to begin giving to God the first fruits of my increase, whatever that increase is. And so begin, uh, check that box, put that in the offering plate when it goes by. You don't have to put this in today because I know some of you, I got to talk to our spouse. I got to talk to my husband or my wife. And so this is going to be in your, in your bulletins every single week for the rest of the month. But I want to challenge you to, to go home and talk to your spouse about what you could give in the next step and begin talking to your spouse about, hey, honey, let's live by, let's, let's put together a budget and let's make sure that God gets, God gets the first 10%. Because here's the truth. Everything we have is not really ours, is it? It's, it's God's. And you say, some of you are like, man, I'm on a fixed in income. I'm, I'm, I'm having trouble getting by right now. You still need to step out by faith in this area, and you will see God bless you in incredible ways. But you will never know that until you step out. So I want to encourage you to, to fill this out, to fill that out. Let me just say this in, in closing, okay? Your fullness of joy is directly linked between the distance between your heart, and God. Your fullness of joy is directly linked between your heart and God's heart. And the closeness of your heart and God is directly linked to where you invest your treasure. Because where your treasure is, there will your what? Heart be also. Listen, I want you to have a heart for God. 
And if I had any other way to get you there, I would have probably said that and not this message. But it's a fact. My wife and I practice this. We know it's to be true. And I want you to have a heart for God. One of the best ways you can do that, one practical step, is to begin tithing and giving to God, giving to the work of God. And I know for, for some of you, this may be the first time hearing this, and I encourage you to take that step of faith and begin honoring the Lord in that way and see what God does in your life. By the way, I can't, I can't end a message without saying this. Uh, in order for you to have a heart for God, you also got to be saved. You got to know Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. Let me tell you something. There is no better giver than the Lord Jesus Christ. I love the verse that says, the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, not to get, but to minister and give his life a ransom for what? For many. He came to give his life. And all throughout his 33 and a half years on this earth, he did nothing but give himself, give his life, give his time, talent, and his treasure to mankind so that we can be who we are today. We can become the best version of ourselves because of his giving. I love the verse that says, for God so loved the world that he what? Gave his only begotten son. Look, you can, you can give without loving, but you can't love without giving. He gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have what? Everlasting life. But it all started with him giving his life, giving himself. And I want to encourage you to give your life to Jesus Christ as he gave his life to you.